Hey, welcome to the Danny Abel podcast, where I help you connect the dots between mindset, metabolism, nutrition, and fitness to help you easily understand complex health and wellness concepts. I'm thrilled you're here to listen to what I have to share. So let's dive right in. Well, hey guys, welcome back to episode five. We are talking all things what to eat and how much to feel great and look good. So today I'm going to be unpacking for you what to eat and how much for both weight loss and for muscle gain or toning up, as I like to say. And then I'm also going to be briefly talking about how to set up periodized nutrition, which will actually be included in the concepts that I'm going to be talking about related to you know, what to eat and how much for both weight loss and muscle gain. Before I dive into that, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode is because of me um, having a very long history and problems with food. So I have so many stories that I could tell you about, but I'll keep it brief. So there was a point in time, probably about 10 years ago, where I started to develop this unhealthy relationship with food. And what that looked like was a classification of foods as good and bad. So for example, I wouldn't use eggs. I I wouldn't use eggs in baked goods. Um, I would substitute them with a chia egg. So if you don't know what a chia egg is, it's where you take chia seeds and then you mix it with like two or three tablespoons of water to create this like gloppity gloop and... Then you replace that with the egg in a recipe. And in my mind back in the day, it was healthier than a real egg. But it was diet culture that was telling me this. It wasn't because the chia egg was any more or less healthy than the egg. It was just that I classified foods as good and bad. I mean, the list goes on. I wouldn't use flour in regular recipes. I wouldn't use sugar Um, I would find things to substitute oil for. I mean, it really got to the point where I was modifying absolutely everything that I was doing as far as like cooking and baking. And here's the kicker. There was no outcome. I did not lose weight and I didn't look any different. So I wasted all of this time and all of this money, you know, trying to eat healthier eat clean, if you will. And it resulted in a lot of frustration for me. So I want to talk about that today. And I want to share with you how I eventually overcame that and what I did. And I'm going to give you two different examples because for myself, I've had two different transformations over the last uh, five years or so. So one of the things that I am going to be talking about today is the concept of reverse dieting, and I'm not going to have time to really go in depth with that today. I will save that for a future podcast episode, but something that I can offer to you immediately, if you want to know more about reverse dieting and the concept of reverse dieting, I have a masterclass that will be linked in the show notes. It's going to be under the links and resources page. 
And you can go there and listen to the masterclass. It's, it's a recording from my masterclass where I broke down what is reverse dieting under the guise of, I've tried everything to lose weight except this. So I think that will be helpful for you if you're new to the concept of reverse dieting. So definitely go check that out. In the meantime, I am going to start with some really boring content around what to eat. Now, before I go into this, I want to make sure that I preface it and say that what seems simple is not always easy to do. So I want you to keep that in mind as we begin to talk about these concepts from the what to eat category. So you need to start with building a balanced plate. I'm talking protein, fiber, carbs, and fats on your plate. As many of them from whole foods sources as you can. Also recognizing that you may not necessarily always be able to pick foods that are exclusively one of those categories. So when I talk about macros with people, when I talk about macros with my clients, when I'm teaching them macros, one of the first things that they begin to recognize as they start to track their food is that there are going to be foods out there that are mixed. There are going to be things like the eggs that I talked about in the beginning of the episode that are both proteins and fats. And when you can see the food for what it is, it's easier to build a balanced plate because then you're not relying upon the whole concept of like clean eating or good foods and bad foods. You can actually look at the macronutrient composition and that in itself gives you confidence by being able to look at the data on the plate and then build the plate from there. So a question that I will oftentimes get is, well, is X food better than Y food? And here's what I want to break down for you. Usually my response is something like, it depends. What macros are you trying to hit? You know, for example, if I have a client who is in a reverse dieting phase, then I might recommend that he or she would default to the chicken thighs because those are going to have fats and protein, but it's going to have more fats than like a standard chicken breast would. Whereas if I have someone who is dieting and is in a deficit phase, then it might be more helpful for them if they were to select the chicken breast, because that is going to have fewer fats. And because they have fewer calories, fewer macros to work with, the chicken breasts might be more helpful for them. And then as far as whole foods versus processed foods, so I touched on this just a little bit ago, but what I really want to dive into here is that the majority of your plate, the majority of your meals should really be coming from more whole, less processed foods. Now, that does not mean that you have to eat clean, quote unquote, all of the time. And I would actually discourage that because oftentimes that leads to restriction it leads to binge and restrict cycles because you feel like you can't have it. But how you can establish a really healthy balance with this is by using the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time, you're, you're having foods that are mostly whole. They're mostly single ingredient foods. You can easily identify them. 
And 20% of the time, you can have the fun foods, the mixed foods, you know, the baked goods, the cupcakes, the, the ice cream sandwiches, whatever it is. And that's going to allow you to have some flexibility and balance so that you don't feel restricted. And then you don't want to just throw in the towel because, you know, you feel like the nutrition and staying on track is just too hard. As far as supplements go, so this is another one that I will get questions on. It's like, what are the best supplements for X? And again, that's going to be one where it's like, it depends. What are your goals? What are your health needs? You know, why are you using the supplements? Tell me more about why you're asking about the supplement. So a lot of the time it comes down to convenience, Um, specifically with like protein shakes and protein bars. It comes down to convenience. It's perfectly fine to use them occasionally, or even like maybe one to two times as a part of your day. However, if you're defaulting to those all of the time, you're likely going to have some negative digestion, meaning like bloating, constipation, diarrhea, because a lot of times those supplements are sweetened with non-nutritive sweeteners that can have like ill effects on your gut. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have them. Like I personally use them. I use a supplement every day. However, I have recognized the ones that cause issues for me from a digestion perspective, and then I avoid those, or I will use digestive enzymes to help me with processing those things. As far as supplements go, you really need to understand, you know, why am I using it and what is it helping me to do or what goal is it helping me to meet? So, you know, if you're just all the time defaulting as your protein source to like protein shakes all of the time, like you think a protein shake is a meal replacement, that isn't going to get you very far because it's literally just protein and probably a little bit of fats if you're mixing it with some milk or something. But supplements are meant to be above and beyond the baseline strategies that you should have in place, like very good lifestyle habits, very good nutrition habits, and very good training or fitness habits. And then beyond that, supplements are at the tippy top of the pyramid. They're not the foundation. Meal timing. This is a big one. So ideally, about every three to four hours is usually most helpful. This is really important in that morning time frame. Now, I'll be careful with using the word breakfast because I know there are some of you out there that are like, I don't eat breakfast. I'm not hungry in the morning. I just have coffee. Okay, I will meet you where you're at. But what I'm going to tell you is that that's probably not serving you very well. So I'm not saying you need to get up and have breakfast at 6 a.m., but likely you need to have some type of a morning meal to get energy going for the day. So if you're not hungry in the morning, what is that leading to later in your day? Usually what I see is binging at night because you can't make up for that extreme hunger that ends up setting in later in the day when your brain recognizes that there's an energy gap. And then what happens is you go into the evening, you binge, you feel bad, you restrict the next day, and then it's just this ugly cycle. So really trying to time those meals, getting in that first morning meal as soon as you can, and then about every three to four hours. All right, the next one is going to be really basic, and you're probably going to be like, yeah, 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 chewing your food, okay? So here's what I oftentimes see is like jamming down food 
inhaling a bunch of air, not being mindful of eating, and then later you feel bloated, heavy, fatigued, and lethargic. Here's the deal. So you really need to be chewing the food and starting the digestive process in your mouth with saliva, slowing it down so that when it does get to your gut, it's not like, you know, a whole hot dog. (laughs) It's not a whole bratwurst, whatever it is. Like you've taken the time to mechanically digest it with your teeth and then chemically with saliva to better prepare the rest of your GI tract to absorb and assimilate those nutrients. And just by doing that, by being attentive with what you're eating, you're going to have better digestion and you're going to be able to recognize hunger and satiation cues, aka like how full or hungry you are, much better. All right. And then the last one that I will touch on as far as like what to eat is going to be meal plans. Number one, I do not provide meal plans. I won't and I can't. Number one, Registered dietitians are the only professionals who can provide you with an actual meal plan. There are a lot of people on the internet, um, we'll call them like fitfluencers, influencers, things like that, where they sell meal plans. They just haven't gotten caught with it yet, but they can't do that. As far as meal plans go, I am against them because they don't teach you food. They're the easy way out. So when you're at the birthday party, and the cupcakes come out, I can guarantee that the cupcake is not going to be on your meal plan. And then what are you going to do? You know, it's either going to be you restrict and you feel restricted or you binge and then you feel bad about the binge. And then that leads to restriction down the road. If you think that you need a meal plan, I would really encourage you to ask yourself why. Oftentimes what I see is that you want to save time, but I'm here to tell you that it's the easy way out and it doesn't teach you anything. So skip over the meal plans. All right. So let's talk about how much to eat for weight loss. So this is going to be primarily around concepts around calories and macros, because that's what I teach. That's what I have found to be personally the most flexible and the easiest to keep up with as far as a sustainability piece. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is just determine where your current intake is at. And how you can do that is by tracking your food for seven to 10 days. Okay, track it in a calorie tracker and a macro tracker. Uh, You could use MyFitnessPal, there's Lose It. You can use other apps that are out there. But essentially, try to be as accurate as you can, tracking as many, well, as many, it should be all of, (laughs) all of the things that you are eating and drinking. This includes things like low-calorie beverages. It includes alcohol. It includes supplements if they have calories that kind of a thing. And then you're going to want to compare this calorie level to what your predicted maintenance calories are. Right there is going to tell you a lot. So if you are under maintenance, you're going to have to reverse diet first. So let me just peel this back a little bit. All right, so what does maintenance mean? So maintenance is your calories that are needed right now to maintain your current body weight 
and to maintain brain and body functioning. No matter if you like your body weight right now or not, maintenance is not to be feared. Maintenance is where you function. Maintenance is where you feel great. You have high energy. And from maintenance is where you goal cycle around. So maintenance is really like the center of a of the wheel. And the spokes on the wheel are all of the associated dieting interventions or periodized nutrition that you can enter. So you can enter these different phases of nutrition and you should, unless you're at a healthy level, you like your body composition and you're just living life at maintenance, then you can stay at maintenance. Now, maintenance is going to be a range. It's not just a static number. Um, And that really actually goes for all macros. Like you can't just like set them and forget them. If you listened to the episode that was taught that I talked about in regards to macros only being part of the health and wellness puzzle and also the metabolism episode, which are episodes two and three, I believe, you'll probably start to see some similarities about what I talk about here. So the phases of periodized nutrition are deficit, diet break, deficit, reverse, maintenance, or bulk. So to get to your maintenance number, to figure out what your current maintenance number is, the best thing that you can do, I mean, I I have limited ability to help you here on a podcast, but what you can do is there are several different estimators online. What I would generally recommend is go find three Plug in your data and see what they say, and then take an average of those three. That's the best that I can do without actually looking at your data and giving you my professional opinion as far as like looking at your biofeedback, looking at your history, and determining like where is maintenance for you. That's the easiest, that's the cheapest way to do it. So you can go get an average, and then from there, figure out where you need to go. So if you are under your predicted maintenance, like I said before, you're going to need to reverse diet, which is slowly adding more calories and manipulating macros. So as you're reversing, you really need to be slowly adding calories and changing the macros every couple of weeks, like flip-flopping carbs and fats as you're increasing up. A lot of the time, Biofeedback is the biggest limiter or the limitation that people have with reverse dieting because they feel like they can't eat more food. What happens when they feel like this, or if you have felt like this, it's your GI tract giving you biofeedback, saying like, it's hard to incorporate the additional food because my function isn't very good right now. So something that I will do with my clients when we're reversing sometimes is I'll give them a goal for the week and I'll say, you know, we're going up 50 calories this week, but out of the 50 calories, out of your daily budget, I should say, out of your daily budget, I want like 150 to 200 of those calories to come in as fun foods, which essentially means high calorie, low volume foods. Now, this isn't my strategy for them in a diet because they have less food to work with. But again, thinking about the different phases of nutrition, you're going to use different interventions 
based upon what phase of nutrition that you're in. So the goal in a reverse diet is to get the gut, the digestive tract working better, the function to improve. And the only way that you can do that, now I shouldn't say only, a good way, one of the ways to do that is to increase calories using high calorie, low volume foods or drinks. This could even go as far as liquids. This is usually where people get stuck because they feel like, well, my gut's telling me I can't eat more. So clearly I can't eat more. And then they just keep eating low calories. But here's how they feel. And maybe you felt like this too. You feel very fatigued. You have low daily energy. You might be bloated. You might have constipation. You may even have diarrhea, not sleeping well. Everything stresses you out. Your body looks no different despite under eating for a long period of time. You feel hollow inside, brain fogged, disorganized thinking, or even anxious. It might even be difficult for you to adhere to the calories that you have, and you feel like you have no flexibility with your macros. This is when it's time to reverse diet, to get up to maintenance. Now, I know this seems counterintuitive because in your mind, if fat loss is your goal, everyone and their brother on the internet is preaching how you have to be in a calorie deficit to lose fat. And that is true. But if your metabolism has slowed because you've been intentionally or unintentionally under eating, you have to restore your metabolism in order to go into a future deficit or a future fat loss phase. You literally can't go any lower with calories. If you already feel this bad, what other option do you have? You don't. If you keep eating low calories, you will feel the same. Your body will look no different. And if you keep eating less or if you try eating less, You will look worse and you will feel worse. So you have to embrace the discomfort, the idea of increasing food. Right there is such a gem. Find something else to focus on during this time. I can't harp it enough. The scale does not matter during this time. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't measure it because that is going to tell you how your body is tolerating the calorie increases and likely will tell you if you have digestive needs that need to be worked on at the same time. And it will also tell you how slow or maybe how fast you could increase calories up. But the goal of a reverse is not weight loss. It's not fat loss. And I'm sorry to tell you that, but in order to get to the place where you want to be, this is what you have to do. We already talked about it. You can't just continue eating less and you can't keep slashing calories. It's not going to work. The only way up is literally up. All right. So once you get up to maintenance, Hold there until your biofeedback 
has been restored. This is one where it might behoove you to stay there for longer. It might behoove you to stay there for four months, six months. And during that time, focus on lifting. Focus on getting amazing sleep. Focus on having amazing sex. Focus on not being stressed out about your calories and your macros. And then when biofeedback is good and you're feeling ready and life is not stressful for you, then plan the diet. Plan the fat loss phase. But if you don't stay at maintenance long enough, especially if your biofeedback is still off, you won't be able, be able to adhere to the diet. You won't be able to adhere to the deficit and you'll kind of just be stuck as far as where you were at before. Planning is absolutely key. So let me give you an example of somebody who might be in this category. So if you're somebody who has been under eating for a period of time, let's just say it's six months or more. And weight loss is your goal. Let's just say that your maintenance calories are 2,100. But after tracking, you've only gotten up to 1,500. You will need to reverse closer to maintenance and hold there until your biofeedback resolves. So likely at 1,500 calories, you're not feeling your best. You're not performing your best. So Think about what that looks like for you right now. Write it down, keep track of it, and use that as a part of your progress markers in the reverse diet. And then once you make it to maintenance or close to maintenance, hold there until biofeedback resolves, and then you can plan for a deficit. You know, it might be anywhere from 15 to 30%. Over the course of several weeks, I would definitely recommend at least one to two diet breaks in there, which is time at maintenance, where you plan that into your diet plan. And then here's the kicker. You need an end date. You have to have an end date for the diet. Otherwise, you will just be back where you are. All right. So if your goal is to tone up, to build muscle, let's talk about what that might look like. So again, you're going to want to track your intake for seven to 10 days and compare this calorie level to your maintenance. If you're under, you're going to need to reverse, and then you're going to need to hold it maintenance. Oftentimes when people want to talk about like muscle gain or toning up, oftentimes they're underweight. They actually need to gain a little bit of weight, which means that they might need to go into a bulk which sounds really scary, trust me, but it's really not that scary. You, again, need a start date. You probably want some bulk breaks in there and you need an end date. And then you go back to maintenance. During this time, you want to make sure you're focusing on lifting with phased intensity. You want to make sure that you're maintaining an average number of steps to help you with managing the additional calories that are coming in. So what this might look like, let's just say somebody is at a maintenance level, ideally on paper of 2,500 calories. You know, they're maybe 130, 140 pounds. They're lifting four to five days per week. They get eight to nine K steps, something like that. That might look like about 2,500 calories per day. They would want to start a bulk 
maybe at 10% and gradually increase based upon their digestive feedback. Now, if they were not at that 2,500 mark, then they would need to reverse slowly up to maintenance. And you can hold there for a while, make sure that biofeedback is stable. And then at that point, go into a slow, steady bulk to build a little bit of muscle, focus on progressive overload with their training. And then if you need to, just come back to maintenance to maintain biofeedback. If you start to feel like the level of calories is at a level where you're starting to feel a little bit fatigued in that bulk. All right, so we talked about periodization of nutrition, but just to kind of bring it all home, the five phases of periodized nutrition are a deficit phase one, a diet break phase, a deficit phase two, a reverse diet, maintenance or bulking, and For each of these phases, you're going to have different nutritional interventions that you're going to be using in each one of these phases. I talked about this at the beginning. So for example, someone who is in a reverse diet might choose foods that are a little bit more calorically dense and lower in the volume category, whereas somebody who's dieting might choose foods that are higher volume lower calories because they want to make sure that they can spread out their food and keep their stomach very full from a volumetrics standpoint. All right, so let me give you some specific examples even further for those two clients that I talked about or those two case studies. So number one, let's just say that the deficit category or the deficit calories for them, once they reversed, held at maintenance and went into a deficit, what that might look like. So maybe it's 1680 calories per day. That wouldn't include a calorie or carb cycle. I'm just giving you the average. And then as far as making sure that their meal timing is adequate and that they are spacing out and getting adequate macronutrients, it might be 420-ish calories per meal, You know, at least 20 grams of protein per meal. Um, at least 15 grams of fat per meal, and then kind of letting carbs fall where they may. Now, for this particular case, it would be more helpful if they were to default to lower calorie, higher volume foods. And these are often things like fibers, fiber types, fruits and veggies to help keep the stomach full. And then the second example is like the muscle gain example. Let's just say that their, their initial bulking calories are something like, you know, 2775 or 2675. Do the same thing. Take those total calories, divide it by four or divide it by the number of meals that you're going to have per day. And then just make sure that you're getting in at least 20 grams of protein with all of those meals, at least that 15 gram of fat minimum. And the 15 gram fat minimum really comes from a 60 gram total fat per day for women to maintain hormone function. And then for this particular case, as far as like food selections, they likely are going to need to, very much like the reverse dieting case study that we talked about, defaulting to higher calorie, lower volume foods in order to get all of those calories in and to hit their nutrition targets. All right, so two main messages that I want to use as a takeaway here is 
you might think you're already eating enough and there's no way that you could even eat more and not gain weight. Usually it's because you don't understand that calories and food volume are two completely different things. So one of the things that I have my clients do when they first come in with me is we we start that baseline food diary or the pre-tracking phase of the seven to 10 days, just so I can kind of see like, what are they defaulting to? Are they having like the giant ass salads, rice cakes all the time, that kind of a thing? Because in that case, we're going to have to come down on food volume in order to help them get their calories up. And then another one is if you don't know that you're dieting, Or if you are dieting, you don't know what to do after the diet. You have no plan and you think you can just diet forever or live on low calories forever. You can't. You can't diet forever. This will leave your metabolism slow. It will leave you with all of those biofeedback challenges or symptoms that I talked about in the beginning of the episode. And your hormone function will be reduced as a result of chronic nutritional stress. I know that it seems really scary to eat more food or to eat closer to maintenance, but I really encourage you to embrace the discomfort and do it. For months, I can assure you that you will be shocked at how much better you feel and how different your body will look months later, as counterintuitive as it may seem. So to summarize, we talked about today what to eat and how to eat, how much to eat for weight loss, how much to eat for muscle gain, and how to periodize your nutrition. And then the takeaway here is that there are no good and bad foods, and you absolutely cannot diet forever without health consequences. So that wraps up episode five. I hope that you got a ton of value from this one and that it helps you to be able to get a little farther ahead. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Danny Abel podcast. If you're enjoying the show and you haven't already, consider subscribing and leaving me a five-star review. If you love the episode, screenshot it, share it to your story and tag me. And lastly, if you have any questions, send me a DM and I'll see if I can help. Thanks again for listening. Take care.